Hi, we're sisters. And you're listening to the Music A to Z podcast. Woo! Hello and welcome to the Music A to Z podcast. I am Steve Ferguson. And I am not Steve Ferguson. Well, not Steve Ferguson. Mm-hmm. Oh, uh, you can call me Doug, though. Okay, Doug. Yeah. It's nice that uh, we're actually able to get together again so soon, but I guess that's kind of the upside to having a super restricted schedule, is that we got to jump on when we're both available. Mm-hmm. Asterix. It didn't help, though, I gave you the wrong day off, but... Uh, no, yeah, no. We, we, yeah, tomorrow would have been perfect. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. But... Uh, uh, yeah. I'm sorry. I must have been... Uh, Drinking too much energon. I, I think what it was is that you were feeling too optimistic <laughs> that you would have a, an actual weekend off. Uh, isn't that insane to me? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's go into some music news. Now, this is interesting. I sent this one to you. First off, a piece of music news that is not uh, revolving around someone's death. Mm-hmm. So, kudos for that. Mm-hmm. Just in August, I think it was either just before or just after we recorded last, but it was right around that point, we had actually made reference to defining platinum sales in our Incubus episode. Right, you know, yes. Talking about uh, what platinum means, yeah. what diamond means, etc., etc. And, you know, as, as a little a little pop quiz moment, I said, well, Doug, what's the number one selling album of all time? To which, of course, you said, well, you know, it's Michael Jackson's Thriller. Mm-hmm. Well. It has been for a long time. But is not any longer. So, the Eagles' greatest hits, or actually it's called Eagles' Their Greatest Hits, 1971 to 1975, has uh, now 38 uh, platinum certifications overtaking Thriller. It is now the best-selling record of all time, according to the RIAA. Eagles' Their Greatest Hits, 1971 to 1975. Isn't that, isn't that bizarre? Well... Hotel California was one of the biggest selling albums. Yeah, but Hotel California is not on that album. See, that's just madness. Isn't that bizarre? <laughs> that's just... Now, the Eagles are definitely one of those bands that's like... They're so popular, but I don't know anyone who listens to them. <laughs> yeah. well, apparently everybody does, so no one talks about it. I guess the so. The thing was, Their Greatest Hits was apparently the best selling album of all time until 2009 when Jacko died. And then Thriller like lurched up. And now it has fallen back down again. It's so really, Eagles. I mean, first off, kudos to whoever signed them. Mm, oh, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, yeah. good. Congratulations. Lord. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> because there honestly seems it just seems to be a very consistent seller. Let's not forget during like the '90s, uh, especially the uh, late '90s. Michael Jackson was a joke. I know it's not funny anymore, and now everybody's like, "How dare you besmirch the name of Michael Jackson?" But he was legitimately a joke. He was the butt of every single joke. It was it was hard not it was hard not to escape that. And people who are now to this day won't hear a word of it. They were they were laughing too. So then when he died and he was in the midst of this huge tour and stuff like that, all of a sudden there was a hell of a lot of sympathy. And you know I think people were just like they had taken him for granted. And then once he was gone, mm-hmm, and, they, and what mm-hmm. was the name of that uh, that uh, documentary that came out just after his death? This is it, I think. Something like that and stuff like that. And they saw like legitimately this guy who was so like focused on on performing and stuff. I think it's really touched a chord with a lot of people. But Eagles continue to sell and to sell and to sell and to sell and are still selling. Now, what as to what you were saying with uh, not knowing Eagles fans, okay, do you recognize any of these tracks? I'm going to be honest. I've, I, I you don't. You know, the thing is, is that I'd have to hear them. I'd, mm-hmm. I'd have to hear them to really say. I'm not great with like track names. There's probably some that I recognize. I'm pretty sure mom had that album. She well, does. She does. I I don't know if she's ever listened to it, mm. but maybe maybe a little bit when first she first got it. And I was going to make some pleasing comment about like how well you know everyone's just buying it for Hotel California, but that's clearly not true at all. Mm-hmm. And you know what's Journey of the Sorcerer isn't even on here, but you know, <laughs> uh, well. By the way, everyone, Steve's not an Eagles fan. Not really. No, I think I borrowed this from mom at one point, and I just got kind of bored with it. You know, I I do definitely respect Hotel California. I, I do enjoy it. It's got a it's got a really um something about the uh the vocal melody is just really compelling. And the, the guitar work is pretty like the the there's a lot of genius behind the a lot of the um the guitar work in there. Um but 
Yeah, again, it's not on there. So, mm. so yeah, well, but you know, of course, the Hotel California is still one of the best selling albums of all time. So yeah, you know, the, the Eagles, man, they don't even need to do anything from this point on. They're no, no, they're set. Yeah, yeah they're set for life. So does that wait? Does this mean that Kanye West has to revise his statements about you know being a bigger deal than Michael Jackson? Now does he need to say that he's going to be a bigger deal than the Eagles? Uh, I mean, you know, that's up to him. That's <laughs> up, yeah, let, let Kanye figure Kanye out. Mm-hmm. We have a very interesting episode ahead of us, folks. It's actually going to be because of your suggestion. I was a little hesitant at first, but now I'm absolutely sold on. This is going to be part one. Part two is going to be a few more months down the line. But this is going to be part one of our look at a very talented group of musicians. And so, Doug, what band are we covering today? Today we talk about Joy Division. history lesson so 1955 Mm -hmm. there was a holocaust survivor by the name of um not his real name his pen name is uh ka zetsnik he wrote a novella called house of dolls and in it he describes the uh he describes joy divisions uh groups of jewish women who were kept for sexual gratification of nazi soldiers so basically like a uh forced brothel allegedly these were based on the diary of a 14 year old girl it's really kind of sticky. It's hard to say for sure. It may or may not have been Zetsnik's sister. The diary may not have existed. It may have been his own personal viewpoint. A lot of these things are really kind of uh, kind of tenuous. Fast forward 20 years. Salford in Greater Manchester. It was a town once known for cotton and silk spinning. So tremendously blue-collar town. And, and the university, the world's first free public library, and the first street to be lit by gas. But all in all, a very blue-collar town. However, by the time of the Great Depression in the 30s, it had the worst slums in the country, leading to a lot of housing projects. So, I mean, it's, it's easy to think of the projects as something that is, um, you know, uh, public housing in, like, Brooklyn or New Jersey or something like that. But um, we can't forget that these sorts of housing projects existed in other parts of the world and shaped those people who grew up in them as well. So, now, th- that being said, the UK... Governments tried to put money in, kept trying to put money in. There was continual redevelopment done. But there was still extensive poverty even up until the 90s. There was a lot of money that's been put into tourism, for example. But during the period that these gentlemen grew up, it was slums. It was it was blue-collar, high poverty, find work where you can, can we ever escape, you know, this town. It makes me think of, of um, makes me think of Flint, Michigan. Yeah, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. You also get some tight-knit communities, but you also get a lot of things like alcoholism and drug abuse. I mean, that's that's the double-edged sword when you got a lot of poverty. Is that you, you get groups of people who are living together, trying to figure out ways to stave off the boredom. And even if you have people who are actively seeking jobs, it doesn't mean that the jobs are there. And this was a reality for, for a lot of people for a long time. And, I mean, how are you going to move out of the slums if you don't have any money to move? Something people forget. Is that it cost money to move? It costs a lot of money to yeah, move. Yeah. Yeah. There were two two gentlemen, Bernard Sumner and Peter Hook. Um, they had been good friends since they were 11 years old. And in 1976, they went to a Sex Pistols show. Uh, Sex Pistols, 
we're known for their very theatric stage presence. Uh, it's very, uh, it's a very mild way of putting it. Uh, yeah, the, uh, theatrically aggressive. Yeah, yeah. I think there's also something cathartic about it. I mean, that's what the whole anarchy in the UK tour. I really think that there was something cathartic about it, an energy and a frustration that needed to be vented. Yeah, yeah. And just like, just like a hopelessness, just like you know, is this it? I mean, you know, we, they've been living under the threat of the Cold War all their lives. Just like, when is Russia going to drop the nuke and when is the U.S. going to nuke off the rest of the world? And by that point, you know, you get sick of it. You get sick of living under fear and being poor at the same time. So, I mean, like, you feel like you're going to die and... And you can't even live in the meantime. There you go. I like that. That's <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, so I think that's where, like, a lot of punk comes from, I think. I think it's just sick of it. I mean, it's sick of what their parents were listening to and what their, par- what their parents thought was music and was a way of life. You know, the mm. uh, parents, um, the baby boomers in the 50s, you know, this was how you should live. Well, I can't live like that because I'm dirt poor. And maybe I'm tired of the, the this Cold War that you guys started, but I don't have any money and I can't do anything about it. Mm, and, actually, uh, sounds, sounds a little too familiar. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I'm getting a little uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> and I think, I think, you know, it's easy to look back at, at punk and say, look at the stupid hairstyles and... And what the hell are they carving into their arms while on stage? And they're spitting and stuff like that. No, to be, okay, to be fair for the hairstyles, <laughs> there's nothing from the punk era that is anywhere near as stupid as the Weekends hairstyle from his first album. No, no disagreement from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, there's just nothing. We, we got nothing. Yeah, <laughs> anyway. but I think it's like punk meant a lot to people at the time. You know, it was mm-hmm. it was rebellious. It was it was a way of channeling that aggression that didn't require a lot of money. You know, um, to to start a punk band, you didn't need a lot. You didn't you didn't need saxophones, and you didn't need mm-hmm. uh, you didn't need all like the whole jazz jazz ensemble. You didn't need even that much skill to play. And that's a hundred. That is a hundred percent true. You like, just needed to know the three chords, and mm-hmm. you get three chords and a lot of energy. You didn't need to be a crooner. You didn't need to be like Bobby Darren and have this this mm, so smooth voice. You could just yell and you could be angry and it was okay, you know. And I think that meant a lot to the youth at the time. It was the music of the people. Yeah, yeah. So Bernard Sumner and Peter Hook were totally inspired by this. A couple of young guys, seventeen, eighteen, and they said, "Yeah, you know what? You know what? We should we should do this. This is what we should do." Sumner at the time was doing graphic design work. And uh, Hook was at the Manchester Ship Canal Company. So, um, I mean, that one is, is bloody blue collar. And Sumner, as graphic designer, um, I mean, like, we like to think of graphic design as, like, sitting with a sort of, like, a posh, you know, notebook and, like, surrounded by, like, colorful office and a big, big <laughs> chair and stuff like that. But he was probably just, like, drawing logos, you know, and, like, making probably, fonts yeah. and stuff like that. And, you know, as as good as it was that they had jobs, because, again... Um, not everyone did. No, not everyone did. Yeah. It it wasn't enough for them. Hook went, he borrowed 35 pounds from his mom. And the ne- the very next day he went, he bought a bass that apparently barely worked. <laughs> Buy a bass for 35 pounds. <laughs> 35 pounds. Yeah. I, that, that feels pretty cheap even for them. Yeah, yeah. Now, there was a another gentleman named Ian Curtis. He was working at a labor exchange place. Ian Curtis grew up remarkably poor. Uh, he adored music. The only way he could get music was by stealing it. Um, so he would go and steal, steal vinyls all the time and then wound up working at a vinyl shop, which I mean, you know, on the one hand, it's just like, well, you're getting the fox to guard the hen house. But on the other hand, it's like, great. He doesn't need to steal me or he can listen to whatever he wants whenever he wants. <laughs> yeah. And then yeah. he worked to work for the government. So <laughs> figured that out. And they got together and they needed a drummer. There is Stephen Morris responded to an ad that they had put out for a drummer. Uh, the ad was in the Max Macclesfield music store. They weren't exactly sure who this guy was, so Ian Curtis went to meet Stephen Morris outside Strange Waste Prison. But apparently they got along really well, so he was signed on. So the four of them were signed like, on. You just want to go meet by prison? And he's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, sure, hey, yeah. Hey, let's go meet by the prison. And, yeah, you see know. you there, yeah. <laughs> uh, initially, they named themselves Warsaw, uh, after the David Bowie track Warsaw, which is on low, which is one of my favorite albums by David Bowie. And they immediately started playing... Uh, gigs around town, which were usually violent punk gigs. You know, very, very, it tends to be very, very destructive. This would be a continuing trend in Joy Division's career, as short-lived as it was, mm. that they tended to have very violent and rowdy shows. But there was already a band in London called Warsaw Pact, with a K, Pact. Wow. Uh, so they said, okay, well, that's not going to do it. It's good. 
So, after the book that I mentioned, the novella, they changed their name to Joy Division. Their first show under that name was at Manchester's Pips Disco in January of 78, and was extremely violent and chaotic. Bono of U2 met him in 1980. Uh, they were recording in the same studio. U2 was recording Boy. And I was going to say, yeah, so that's the, the, the very beginning of U2. Yeah. And Joy Division was recording Closer. And Bono remarks that when he met Ian Curtis, Ian was an extremely polite, soft-spoken, nice guy. Super nice guy. But as soon as he got behind the mic, he was possessed. And he was he was frantic and he was manic and he was on the verge of losing it at all times. Like just just no just no calmness to him. Just very strange, strange energy. He was destructive and dangerous on stage. There was one occasion that um, Sumner recalled where someone was throwing bottles, pint bottles, onto the stage and interrupting this this the set. And Sumner was like two steps from stopping and going to the owner or the manager and saying look, you, the the crowd needs to be under at least a little bit more control or we can't play. But before he went to do, <laughs> do that, he saw it wasn't someone from the audience. It was Curtis. It, Ian Curtis was was grabbing any bottle he could and just just destroying the stage with glass. Just destroying it. Feels, um, <clears throat> I don't you know, like throw words around. But I feel like may have been a bit unsafe. (laughs) (laughs) That's very judgmental. (laughs) Sorry. Um, As such, the band became super hard to book. Not a lot of venues wanted to book them. Mm, I can understand that. Yeah. 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 Nevertheless, they became involved with Tony Wilson and Rob Gretton. Or sorry, Gretton of Factory Records. Gretton actually even became their manager. Just because on the strength of their, their material and their stage presence, I think Factory Records saw huge potential in word of mouth and also i think they're even at that point knew that you know if a commodity is hard to come by even if it's just booking a gig then you know it can become sought after it's just like oh hey did you pick up that new joy division album they're not allowed to play any of the clubs you know you know automatically (laughs) and also you know the time is right too like if the, the it's it's hitting that chord of like you know if the sex pistols are around and the clash are around like I don't know, it feels like a good time to have, like, the Joy Division. Even though, like, I feel like musically are not as rowdy as those two in the early days. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, I mean, the Sex Pistols never had anything but early days. But <laughs> <laughs> but in the Clash's early days, yeah. Yeah. Now, Factory Records wasn't a really... They weren't a really big label. They weren't a really big name. They had, like, a resident mixer, and they had, they had a, a business structure, but... They weren't, like, EMI or Columbia or anything like that. They were, they were smaller, and I think they wanted to get in on the movement and i think they were i think they had faith in the band i really do so that takes us actually to september of 1978 did you listen to the an ideal for living ep actually no i didn't i didn't check out the eps it was released by their this is this was sort of like this wasn't released under factory records this was released under their own label which they were calling enigma and i think it was really for the most part just to just to to release well they're on tour and, oh, yeah. Yeah. and you know and to, to spread the word it was so it was completely self-produced and you can really tell that the cover art was drawn by sumner himself it's a hitler youth on a drum and that led to a lot of people saying are these guys nazi sympathizers <laughs> wow uh, yeah not yeah. a good thing not a good thing so when it was released on 12 inch it had scaffolding as you can see on uh, on the cover instead but i i don't know the thing is when you listen to the music i don't think there's any question that that image is being used ironically really because like on the surface level the hitler like look at the drum he's got the hitler youth and the, the music of the time was very was very, was marches and very traditional music this is the opposite of that mm-hmm. and I, I so i don't even think i don't think it's a stretch to 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 say that there's there's a very intentional irony behind using that and i'm gonna say it, this is pretty damn punk. <laughs> this is mm, this okay. is punkity yeah. punk 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 punk. Punkity punk 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 punk. Yeah, punkity punk 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 punk. Like it's 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 fairly aggressive. It's it can be at times unpleasant to listen to. Although leaders of men has a great hook and failures has a great energy, and that's half the EP right there. Right. Uh, it has a. This is one of the occasions where you see the track Warsaw which was going to be on a self-titled album when they were called Warsaw. Um, uh, a lot of those tracks, naturally, by this point, have been released. And even you can find a playlist 
or playlists. Um, I don't know if there's a physical release of this unreleased Warsaw album because the interest is there. Here's here's one of the things. Perhaps perhaps you can you can help me out here. I feel like Joy Division is a punk band. A lot of people categorize them as part of that post-punk rock movement. But I feel like they're punk. Hmm. Well, uh, I guess it depends on if you go by musicality or attitude, maybe. Because I, I think if you were to go by the two primary albums, mm-hmm. I, I would, I would kind of lean toward post-punk myself. Mm. Um, but I didn't listen to those EPs. Maybe they're very, uh... This one's really raw. This one yeah, is super yeah. raw. Apparently it's all, or a lot of it is on substance. Yeah. Oh yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, yeah. again, you can, I, this is something we're, we're going to mention quite a bit. You can find any and every B-side on any, on a compilation somewhere because there are so many. Mm. The one that actually took me the most by surprise in terms of its existence was the total compilation. Which was oh it's, yeah it's, it's it's Joy Division and New Order and that one mystifies me but yeah hmm yeah it was an, it was a nice it was a nice little EP it's a much sought after uh, like the original pressing is is very sought after oh I imagine I imagine it goes for like yeah I, it's probably for like those hardcore collectors who mm-hmm. have a lot of money to spend uh, but it didn't take too long until they released their first full length LP Unknown Pleasures in June of seventy nine. Unknown Pleasures, as we all know, it is uh, everybody's favorite shirt to wear. Uh-huh. Uh, every every angsty teens uh, or or uh, or 40, uh, 40 something music nerd outside of uh, uh, the Che Guevara shirt, I think. I feel like the Che Guevara shirt. I feel like that's done. <laughs> I, I, I haven't seen one of those in a long time. <laughs> that's right. Um, but I still see uh, unknown pleasure shirts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the, but I do. I almost forgot about that. There's a shade. How do you say, Wolvera? It, it might be. Um, yeah, those shirts were everywhere for a little while, and you know, worn without. Anyways, you know, that's a whole other. That's a whole other thing. Considering its reputation. I kind of thought this would be better, <laughs> but it is. But it is fascinating. I hear the influence in so much that we listen to today. Mm. Early Moby springs to mind, um, even more so because he covered New Dawn Fades for the Heat soundtrack, and it's also on I Like to Score. But uh, man, these songs are raw. Like they are raw. They, I, I, I barely studio quality at times. I'd say. Mm. Of course, I, I also don't have the ideal for living EP to compare it to. So maybe this is like a real big step up. I don't know in quality wise. Yeah. No, I didn't note that it was a step step up. It's um, probably about the same. And the, you know what? There is a charm in how unrefined it is. Sometimes it just sounds like kids playing in a big empty room. Yeah, but often I feel like there is some lost potential. It's very sad. It's very contemplative. Standout tracks are Shadow Play, because uh, I really like how the guitar, guitar sounds. Uh, it's got and it's got a lot of nice, um, a lot of nice reverb. Disorder, the first track, maybe the best of the bunch. Very high energy, uh, really solid bass and drums. But the energy really sinks for the next three tracks. But what I will say, about, definitely about Unknown Pleasures, is that it does not sound like music from 1979. Mm. Like, because I, I just, I just bought. Um, Earth, Wind, and Fire's "I Am," which mm-hmm. is from 1979, mm. and like, just like incomparable, <laughs> like, just, just like, I mean, obviously, like they're different, like you know, completely different genres, just like, but like quality wise, like it just they're just they're on different worlds, basically. Um, and interesting, I feel like Unknown Pleasures has left a bigger impact. In well, actually, you know, actually, not maybe that's not even, not even fair. Because that's when the fire. I feel like that's got still got a lot of impact in, in um, but just like different genres. They just and well, and also like, even though they both have a big impact, look at where they're stirring from. Earth, Wind, and Fire was a huge act. Yes, yeah. and these guys were not. I mean, maybe maybe locally where they got notoriety, mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I mean, like, I mean, in terms of scale, the fact that these guys became so big. With hindsight, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so anyways, I'm glad I listened to it because I can see some of the pillars that are set up for what would become New Wave and uh, post-punk and rock. Like, yeah, just even this, like, regular rock. Uh, I can hear cut copy. 
I can hear the Killers, I can hear Depeche Mode, and I can hear U2. Um, like, it's all, like, I would hear hints of, like, these bands all throughout it, because and, and like, just know that they, they listened to this album, and it impacted them in some way. Eh, honestly, I don't know if it's for me. Hmm. Yeah, I just, I just, I mean, there's, it's got, definitely has its moments, but uh, it's, sometimes it just feels just too, too unrefined and too, like, just underwhelming. I guess it, it is almost too bad because like you have all these bands who have built on this. And then when you, and with us who have not grown up with all these other bands who built on this stuff, going back to the source can be underwhelming. That's very true. Yeah. But anyway, that's my take. What's yours? Well, first off the cover art, the, the band t-shirts cover art. <laughs> yeah. Apparently those were, at first I didn't know what they were. Cause uh, um, I thought maybe it was like sonar or something. I'm not far. They were radio waves from a pulsar. Pulsar CP1919, apparently. Okay. Oh, just inverted, because originally they're black on white, now it's white on black. Uh, so again, Martin Hannett, Factory Records, he was the in-house kind of producer. Okay. Um, he had worked with them and New Order for years. There was a movie that came out in 2002 called Control, uh, directed by Anton Corbin. Look as long as you need. How long do you need? I never meant for it to grow like this no control anymore okay yeah, yeah. Uh, and in that movie Martin Hannett was played by Andy Serkis oh mm-hmm. um, apparently it's mm. a really apparently it's a really good movie Hannett also worked with Psychedelic Furs and U2 for 11 o'clock TikTok he worked with them for that song. oh okay okay uh, he didn't work with them much for U2 but if you think about 11 o'clock TikTok the single um, that actually makes a great sense because it's a pretty raw single it is it is actually yeah um, but actually, pretty darn good. I like it. I like it. I like it too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah so so any 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 YouTube naysayers? This is like early days YouTube. Like super early. You gotta. Yeah. I, I I always recommend like the really early stuff. I feel like it's just a side of YouTube that's just not there anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, actually, I think Bono said that as well. He said he's the multiple times he said he's wished that he could they could put out stuff as good as Boy. Even though he hates the way he sounded, like <laughs> figure that right. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, you know, well, boys got boys got a rawness that like, I mean, we've always obviously talked about this on uh, an older episode. You is for you too, but mm-hmm. yeah, boy, it just has this great like this great raw energy that uh, yeah, I think you need, yeah, almost like you need to be young to do that, <laughs> yeah. right? Yeah. So maybe that was part of Hannett's sound. Maybe he just he liked the raw sounds to it. And I wonder like how like what do you do to produce an album to keep it sounding raw? Well, because it sounds like the label took them in because of their live show mm. and their punk fans. And, like, you're not going to want to polish the hell out of a punk album. Mm. You know, like... Not gonna, yet. You know, no, you're not gonna, yet. You're going <laughs> to... Yeah, but, yeah, you're going you're gonna to piss people off if you do that. So, you know, you got you to know the fan base. You got to know the... And, obviously, Factory Records knows what kind of fan base they're appealing to. Mm-hmm. So... So, uh, the band actually, coincidentally, they were split on how it was produced. Some of them were not happy with, with how it was produced and just wanted something different. Although, even in recent years, though, uh, I think it was Peter Hook had said that, you know, as much as I didn't like it before, now it is what the Joy Division sound was. And he was just as instrumental in that. Which I think is a fair concession. Mm-hmm. So, originally, when it was originally released, there was 10,000 copies. Uh, but on that first weekend, they sold half of them. Oh, hey, so, hey, that's not so bad. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. An additional 10,000 copies. Especially um, considering, like, everyone's poor. <laughs> you know right? What? Yeah. Right? An additional 10,000 copies uh, were then sold as, as time went on. Actually, I think you've, you've really hit on something, though, Doug. Uh, like, as, as glib as you were being, I think I think there's a truth to that. So I think that a lot of people, like, really, really connected to this music. So even when they had just a little bit of money, that's what they went to buy. I, I feel like people, uh, especially maybe when they're poor, they feel like they need to uh, invest in the arts, you know? Mm. Yeah. yeah. Invest into the things that matter to them. Especially since, like, you know, it's a record. And that lasts you a long time. I find that this this um, this album fluctuates between high energy and dark brooding atmosphere. And, I, okay, so yeah, this is the thing. It's, it is melancholic. It is contemplative. But half the time the music's not a drag the music's not a slog to get through and joy division not always but sometimes they dance this crazy line between like the most depressing of lyrics with ian curtis's deep deep voice and like this this strangely high energy tempo and stuff it's 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 very strange and uh, through throughout joy division's releases you will find this new dawn fades as discussed before um 
I find it can be a little much. Sometimes there's a there, sometimes it gets a little overwrought. Sometimes. I'm not actually even that fond of the movie cover, to be honest. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> I, 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 you know, it's 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 you know, it's got a charm. I feel like it's well suited for certain occasions. Mm. Yeah. Uh, the first three tracks really give a good representation of what kind of album this is. If you're listening to this album and, and you're not into it after the first three tracks, you're it's not going to pull a quick one at the end and be, and have like a fantastic second half. If you're not into the first three tracks, forget it, because <laughs> that's all you're going to get. Now, Shadowplay, on the other hand, with some very precision percussion, which cannot be understated, Morris Morris actually really hits it here, and some wailing guitar, and, this, and not wailing as in, oh, woe is me, but wailing as in just like, just got such a very visceral sound, mm-hmm. which Sumner, throughout his whole damn career, he 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 really he works with minimal aesthetics to create a very powerful guitar sound. But Shadowplay is probably the best song on the album. I get, also I gotta check out the Killers uh, cover of it. Um, yeah, it's on their um, it's on their best uh, of the best of Sawdust. Yeah, yeah. Or, no, not it's not no, it's not it's, it's not it's, um, it's not Sawdust. It's not Sawdust is the B sides collection. Yeah. It's on the best of. Which is a different collection. I thought Sawdust was on the... All right, here. All right. Dun, 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 dun. We're going to look it up. All right. Do we want to put money on it? <laughs> no. <laughs> okay. Uh, la, 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 la. Direct hits. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Maybe you're right. Maybe Steve's I mean, right. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Steve, Steve's right. It is off Sawdust. I don't own that many Killers albums. I think I've got uh, Hot Fuss, Sawdust, and uh, Sam's Town, and that's... Or, or maybe I have the um, no, I have the one after that. Uh, Day and Age. Day and Age, yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's all I have by them. Uh, and so whenever mm. I have to re-upload songs on my iPod, it's Sawdust and like all the other compilations take me a while. Okay, well there you go. Steve wins, but we didn't put money on it, <laughs> right? As soon as you say want to put money on it, I'm like, oh, I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I was actually feeling very confident about it. I'm like, yeah, it's for sure off the direct hits. No, no, I was the wrong person. I don't think um, I've heard their greatest hits album actually. Uh, I mean, you've heard most of it. Okay. <laughs> yeah, because you know it's the it's the greatest. But anyways, yeah, Shadow Play Killers. Uh, I got to give it another spin because now I'm more familiar with this Shadow Play. Hmm, fair enough. Fair enough. So I mean, I'm to be honest, I'm not a big fan of Unknown Pleasures, but I I likewise I also really appreciate it. And there are some tracks on there that I I actually really enjoy. But would I go out and buy it? To be honest, probably not. You know, it's one of those things where it's like, if I bought this, would I just be buying this for like the cred? Or right. would I be buying it to actually listen to it? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And and I don't see myself listening to it very often. I might revisit a few tracks. Uh, again, I quite like Disorder. And we we're both we're both on the um, on the Shadow Play bandwagon. Uh, or not bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> we were both on board for Shadow Play. Yeah. No, I don't know about you. Well, no, you must have, right? Uh, yeah. Our friend Travis gave us a stack of CDs, and he had he had Joy Division's album Closer, and he had uh, Substance, I think it's called. Uh, what what's there? It was like it was like a B sides collection. Still, uh, maybe. Um, so I had taken basically my on uh, my iPod. I've got everything Joy Division except for Unknown Pleasures. Okay. And I figured since they didn't have that much in the way of releases, that I might as well go into some of those singles as well. In particular, October 79, so in six months, they released uh, Transmission. This was going to be on the self-titled Warsaw album, which again, was then over the years dissected and released in various forms. Transmission is a noticeable step up, which is interesting for only six months. Well, the, I guess, you know, some money started to come in. Yeah. Yeah. For for the, the son, once Sumner's guitar comes in, the song itself goes from okay to amazing. Ian Curtis, he goes from angst to frantic energy, and the song benefits entirely from it. It's a great track. And the B-side to that is Novelty, which is okay. With Sumner's awesome guitar balancing out against a whole home beat. I, I think like when people talk about Joy Division, they usually just focus on Ian Curtis because... I mean, not only was it the face of the band, but he was also the energy of the band. And also his was the, the tragic backstory behind it all. But, I mean, we have to give props to the other band members, too, who at various points, not always at the same time, but at various points, shine and really and really show. These are young guys. These are like 19, 20-year-olds. Uh, they're already showing. They're very competent musicians and sometimes very amazing musicians. And if I'm going to be frank, I think Sumner is is probably the best and most talented one of the lot. 
there are many times where I'm listening and he carries the song uh, legitimately. I know that Peter Hook sometimes on stage. I just saw you remember it. It's mixed between Peter Pan and Captain Hook. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sometimes on stage, he has said in interviews, he couldn't hear himself. Like, just, just because of the way the acoustics were set up, all he'd get is an earful on one side of drumming and on the other side, guitar. And so when he would sit down and listen to an album of theirs, he'd be like, oh, that's what I sound like sometimes. You know? <laughs> oh, wow. So, okay. I mean, he, and not that he wasn't trying, not that he was just in the background going boom, 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 boom. But I think with music like this, it can be easy to feel left out you know what i mean Mm -hmm. um that you're just filling in the sound as opposed to being the sound i mean we've been to some poorly produced live shows as well like Mm -hmm. ones where the the balancing isn't exactly um theirs and those are like bigger bands than joy division were at the time um so i i get that yeah yeah uh, but let's jump then to Closer for July of 1980. It's worth knowing at this time, these guys were touring all the time. If Have you seen Ian Curtis's live performances? No, I haven't. You should watch them because he's the way he dances on stage, he looks like he's having an epileptic fit. That was half the appeal, but he also did have epilepsy. <laughs> well, this, okay. this is the thing, and that's like... And this is, this is really kind of tough as well because... Some people have romanticized it to the point where it's just like, oh, he's dancing like that because he's embracing his epilepsy as part of who he is, blah, blah, blah. Other people are would say, oh, no, no, he's using, he's masking his epilepsy by dancing like that because there were occasions where on stage he would actually have a legit seizure and fall down and need to be restrained. Yeesh. Other people are saying that's just how he was on stage because he would just get so, so overwhelmed with the music that he would just start frantically flailing his limbs and I think it was attractive to a lot of people because he, because uh, of how deep his voice was and how morose his lyrics were. And then he would start dancing like a madman, like like he like he was possessed, like he was a, literally a step away from foaming at the mouth. It, it was it could be frightening, but it could be exciting at the same time. Unfortunately, he did have epilepsy, and unfortunately, he was having seizures. And uh, Sumner had recalled a time when he had to hold down his tongue and then end the seizure and then say, oh, should we take you to the hospital? Let's, t- let's take him to the doctor and then let's keep touring. Uh, and in hindsight, they feel bad. They should have been like, we needed to put the brakes on and slow down. But at the time, they're, they're again, they're like, they're in their early 20s and it's nothing that they they really have experience with. They're just a couple of young guys who are, who are now, this is their life and this is mm. all they know how to do, right? And on top of that, he was drinking and smoking a lot. And the medication he was on needed him to have more of a slower lifestyle. Um, so when you look at Joy Division's career as a whole, it's really truncated. It's small. Mm-hmm. Because, but there was a lot happening. Uh, but let's talk about Closer. Sure. How do you feel about Closer? Well, I, I actually do feel like I'm getting closer... <clears throat> so to speak, nice. uh, to, but no, really to understanding the vision of joy division may actually be moodier at times than unknown pleasures. Atrocity exhibition is a bit long, but I like what they do with the percussion. And now I find, uh, with this album, I definitely hear uh, strong Interpol vibes mm. or I guess more, I should say when I, now when I listen to Interpol, I'll begin some joy division vibes since obviously <laughs> they predate Interpol by quite a, like a couple decades. Isolation is pretty good. It's got some nifty synth work and a nice uh, head bopping tempo. And after that, it does fall into similar trappings to unknown pleasures for a few tracks. Some of the vocal melodies are just kind of weak. The rhythm section has it going on for the most part, but yeah, Ian Curtis's vocal performance is earnest, but it does show its limitations a lot. Yeah, I, I don't know. It feels like his it just like he's not a naturally gifted singer. No. <laughs> um, but like again, there's punk and there's a charm to that. The fact that he you know just anybody could go and sing for a band, but I think. Yeah, but it does. You hear you hear his limitations in the music. I think, um, and that can be a good thing or a bad thing, depending on what you're looking for. I guess um, a means to an end is not bad though. I, I do like it uh, because he does know how to add dramatic punctuation from his lyrics. So in this one, uh, he's uh, saying lines like, 
I put my trust in you. And just the way he says it and where he puts those lines, uh, it does add like a lot of, uh, just, it just adds really nice dramatic beats to mm. the song. Heart and Soul works too because it has more interesting moody production. It just, it seems like they're, it just, it, it goes for something very different, a little more like reverb in the vocals and just like, it, it's, it's something about the mood. It just is, it's something, it's darker, but it's really compelling. Um, could be too long though. It's, it's like almost like six minutes, mm -hmm. 24 hours, kind of a ditto feeling on that one. Mm -hmm. A great build up, like actually like really nice build ups. Like that one, I've really kind of felt myself getting into and wanting to like drum along but then i feel the album falls off there like yeah the last two tracks are too long kind of exhausting kind of a slog uh synth work in the the last track decades has not aged well hmm. the synthesizer i just felt is like mm -hmm. <laughs> didn't work so uh, i felt that in general closer is a stronger album uh, i got into it more but yeah, still, still not what I really like actively enjoy. But I do, I do think it was better. I think, I think it's got much more, more solid tracks and higher high points than unknown pleasures. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree with you, but I think I like it more. Okay. For, first off, though, the album is not helped by that opening track. To be honest, I think it's a slog. I mean, it's it's consistent with the band's sound, but it's. I don't think it's reflective of the album. I think it's just a little too no, repetitive yeah, yeah, yeah. and very, very dark. It, yeah, true. It doesn't feel like it really fits in to the whole the whole album. Now, what is interesting, though, folks, if you if you hang on through what the hell's the name of that damn song? Uh, Atrocity Exhibition. If if you hang on through that song, you will then be, I think, um, a little taken aback with the next song, Isolation, which is kind of the opposite. This is this is one of their first tracks where they're actively playing around with synth and experimenting. And uh, I actually like it. I like that, that song a lot. I think it, it's short, mind you, but I think it brings a great, uh, a great energy into the album. And that's when I notice a trend, and that's I love Joy Division when they're experimenting and having fun, but when they just want to have a dark, depressing track, they tend to lose me about halfway through the song. Because uh, they also don't do that. They don't do short, dark, depressing tracks. No, no. <laughs> they do. They do like six-minute dark, depressing tracks, and it's like, I you know I like long songs. But not all the time. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I felt that Sumner was the one who really shines on this album again. It, his guitar work has noticeably come a long way between albums, and he really demonstrates his versatility between songs. And again, more often than not, he carries the song completely. Um, big example for this one was A Means to the End, which I really like at all, but I've got to say it's mostly because of Sumner. Eternal is a delicate and subtle song, layering layered with the gravitas that the band frequently aims to hit, but tends to miss. Sometimes I, I, you were, I think you mentioned that with the build-up. Sometimes they can just build and build and build, but it's not a satisfying build because it doesn't really go anywhere sometimes. So then the question is then, how does a band share their passion with an audience? Some bands will do that by preaching, preaching to the choir. You know, the band, the, the audience is already there listening to you and you're just going to preach to them. Or in Joy Division's case, I think where they excelled was in making a genuine connection with them. But that's a line that sometimes they can dance. <laughs> and actually i liked decades um oh you did okay yeah the yeah between i mean i wasn't a big fan of 24 hours but between the eternal and decades i thought the album first off closed off way better than the last one and secondly was a really good closing track I, it would only work as a closing track yes yeah well okay so i think between between both of us we really like the album <laughs> yeah and now when i asked myself with unknown pleasures would i buy the album i, I had to truthfully say no with Closer, I actually might. I actually might buy the album. I, th I think there is enough material on here that I find interesting that I would want to listen to again. We'll see. I mean, because I have it on my iPod. Because, again, our friend Travis said uh, uh, it was in the policy CDs. So if I keep revisiting it, um, then yeah. Then I'll know that it's it's one. But th this one is noticeably enough, better noticeably enough, that I would give it a serious consideration. Hmm. So let's give a quick talk about some follow-up singles because yeah. they were there was a lot of there was a lot of work that was going on with these guys. In March of 1980, they released a single called "Licked and Blend Height," which had the B-sides uh, "Dead Souls." "Licked and Blind Height" is uh, "Light and Blindness" in German. They had a lot of faith in that song as they re-released it as "Atmosphere." 
uh, a few months later. Uh, actually, oh yeah, there's atmosphere, yeah. No, so okay, I, okay. Yeah, you, you know, I, I feel like I've just, uh, I dropped the ball. I should have listened to Substance, uh, just, just to get all these extra tracks. Because, yeah, it, it, so, it, listener, if you are wondering where a lot of these, uh, singles are off to, or what's the easiest way to get them, substance. um, Substance, the, uh, the release from, oh, oh, it says 2010, but I'm sure there was an earlier one. Yeah, Joy Division Substance is a collection of a lot of these songs. Yeah. So definitely worth checking out. Atmosphere, though, it is it is a moving piece, and it does sound great, but it doesn't really seem to go anywhere. Mm-hmm. Now, the B-side, She's Lost Control, is a great song with lots of experimentation and fun. It's not as developed as it could be, but I still appreciate it. <laughs> then we come to, I mean, the obvious the obvious one. Uh, June in 1980, Love Will Tear Us Apart. It was their biggest charting hit, number 13 in the UK, in no small part because of the sentiment as it relates to the tragedy of Curtis's suicide. Uh, it's even inscribed on his tombstone. It was originally recorded way earlier in the year, around the time of Closer, but they were really unhappy with it, with how it turned out, so they re-recorded it in March. And then the single was released twice more in 83 and in 95. Uh, I think this is the song, first off, it's strange that this is the song they're known for, given that it doesn't really sound like, it's, it's far more produced and synth-reliance than any of their other work, mm-hmm. really. Um, and, and that one you could, you could call new wave, very early new wave. You could get away with calling it that. It is the bridge between them and new order. I think in a lot of ways. I'd agree. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. What's driven me absolutely bonkers is, uh, there are a bunch of different versions of it. And the version that I really like, I can't for the life of me figure out where it's from. (laughs) There's my, the favorite one that I have on my iTunes is and it's the one that ends with it's got this like nice really guitar work at the end it's kind of acoustic-y sounding is that not the one on substance no no like i i keep i've checked all these bloody compilations on here and there's a whole bunch of like just they're all mostly the same yeah but they're different enough that i'm like ah it's not it's not right because i've just heard the 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 one that I like so many times like because I, I listen to that song all the time mm. I, I I love Love Will Tear Us Apart I think it is like a bloody masterpiece like it is every everything about it works every single thing it's like emotional but it's like upbeat and it's like it's fun but it's like also kind of dreary and it's just like it's a super complicated like emotional uh, but really earnest uh, song. And, uh, and it gets in your head, and you can sing along, and it's just, ah, it's so good. It's just so good. Um, but anyway, so, I don't know, maybe I should double check this. Here, actually, I'll double check it right now. I'll see if this is the, from completely bonkers, and I've just been, I listen to every other one. Nah. It just ends with, like, the drums and the stuff, like, trailing off, just mm. like every other one. But yeah, I first heard this track... I want to see it was the Donnie Darko soundtrack. I think that was the first time I had listened to it for sure. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, yeah, it seems like Level Tear Us Apart is sort of like the song that everyone knows by Joy Division. Um, but yeah, looking back, it's sort of, I guess, I guess maybe that's like part of like why I feel in some ways like a lot of Joy Division's catalog didn't quite live up to like what I hoped for is that like I started at such a high point mm. at a point where they had already kind of refined themselves and how do you go from there to, like, all their stuff from way before they were refined? Uh, you, I mean, you gotta just take it for what it is and for with some context. Mm-hmm. But even then, it's like, ah, but it's not as good as Level Terrace Apart. <laughs> you know, it's, just, it's like, damn, what a, what a, what kind of... Uh, if only I was born in 1979 <laughs> or, or earlier. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I really don't want to have been... <laughs> uh, the B-side to that was called These Days which sounds started off sounded very much like a more traditional Joy Division song mm-hmm. but the production on the instrumentation is great and then there's a glitchy offbeat sound that comes in in the second half which is very welcome and, and they, it dives more into the experimentation and I think honestly I think this was the direction that they were starting to go in naturally themselves yeah yeah to, to kind of start uh, I guess what should be called uh, buttoning up the suit and putting on a tie and uh you know, leaving the punk days behind. Oh yeah, yeah. I think, putting, I think... On, uh, putting on the old, the gloss of mm-hmm. new wave. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then in July of 1980, they released uh, a track called Kamikino, which has a great hook and some dark energy. 
but the musical bridge behind it is climactic and engaging. And the B-side incubation for that is a really developed rock track that foreshadows the tempo and production the band could have become. So, I mean, that's Homestretch. Homestretch sounds wrong. Um, that's, yeah. That cap to, their, to, to them as a band at the end there was really, like, amping up to, like, okay, if I was a Joy Division fan and I hadn't heard of Ian Curtis's Suicide but was keeping up with the music pre-internet right um yeah i would have been like man where are these guys gonna go next sort of thing but i mean by this point Ian Chris was already already dead <laughs> you know it makes, you, it makes you think of like you know getting hyped up for a career posthumously mm. like you know heath ledger is the joker where it's like oh my god his career could go anywhere from here Boom. yeah yeah and then it's like oh nah i guess not yeah no so curtis had become estranged from his wife uh doing a part to an affair he was having and due to the due to the constant touring and in fact he was quite unstable and again the band wishes that they had taken a bit of time off you know i mean at the time you feel like you just have to keep going 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 and you're not in, you're not in any real control of your life this is this is what we do now yeah um, and also like you know you, you, there's got to be a fear of like oh we're starting to take off if we take off time like what if people forget about us what if like we what if we lose everything that we built yeah yeah. Yeah. There was no subscriptions. People weren't subscribing to you on YouTube or anything like that. Uh, you know, there was no uh, Bandcamp emails or anything like that. This was, uh, you lived and died by the road, really. Mm-hmm. Um, they were on the cusp of a huge U.S. tour. And and uh, here's a bit of the conflict, too. Ian Curtis was looking forward to the U.S. Ter- tour in a big way. He was also terrified of flying. Really? Just yeah, terrified yeah. of it. Not not to say that that was the reason why he killed himself. You but take a cruise. <laughs> Chris's are expensive, dude. Yeah, I know. But this certainly didn't help. Even if even if it's a stress you're looking forward to, like a big US tour, it's still another stress. So yes, he hung himself in his kitchen with a wash cord at the age remarkably at the age of twenty-three years old. And it's it's shocking to look back at how young he was and how young they all were. Um, Jeez, that's younger than Daniel, isn't it? Isn't that, yeah, it's weird to think about now, isn't it? It's, it's just like he was he was a he was a young guy. He was a really, really young guy. For context, and... Daniel's our youngest of brothers. The youngest Ferguson, uh, you can hear him on R is for Radiohead. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and F is for Franz Ferdinand. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but yeah, like that's but he's like almost what, twenty five? We'll be twenty five this year. So geez. You know who else died that young? Or I think it was twenty four. James Dean. Mm, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, twenty four. It's not funny. <laughs> no, um, just so weird. It, it is especially weird because, I mean, like, when you're in your early 20s, just like, oh, yeah, you know, it's a tragedy that he died. When you get past your early 20s into our, your 30s, you're like, it is a tragedy he died, and he was so young. Because, you know, it's like, geez, like, he hardly had a chance to do anything. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, obviously, he accomplished a lot, left a huge impact, uh, but, like... I mean, obviously, because he's Ian Curtis. He, I mean, there's. I think of people people who die that young and and don't. I mean, and, and also like again, he's building towards something so great. I also felt that about like um, Anton Yelchin. Mm. Uh, I mean, obviously, he didn't commit suicide, but like he died so young, and it was sort of like, oh no, like I still feel like he didn't like have his masterpiece. Like mm-hmm. he didn't. He didn't have that 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 amazing role that was gonna like define his career, and like. Oh, yeah, that one broke my heart because like I just I just I just knew that guy had so much talent mm-hmm. um, and was going going really really starting to go places. Obviously, like level tears apart, and, and it, from what you, I mean, it sounds like I'm really gonna check out these other tracks that were released around that time. Like, damn, like really really going places. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So then the question is, what are the guys of Joy Division gonna do? They're still wanting to make music, but now they've suffered a tremendous loss and. I don't think anyone would have blamed them if they just said, we're just going to throw it in the towel. In the towel. Yeah. What did happen to them? We will find out in a few weeks' time. A few months' time, I should say. Uh, as we uh, continue into part two, the career of New Order. And let me tell you, I'm I'm so stoked. <laughs> I'm so stoked <laughs> oh, for it. Yeah. At first, I was just like, do I really want to like get into there? But, oh, man, I'm... I'm I'm already I've already started. I'm okay, uh, cool. I'm so excited about New Order. So a quick word about Joy Division. <sighs> Doug, how many compilation albums? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh geez. 
Ah, uh, I guess I gotta, I gotta look it up. I'm I mean, sure. the one that, of course, we'll recommend is Substance because Substance collects a lot of the B sides. Yeah, it looks like a, it looks like a good one. To and that's that's fine for for honestly for a uh, mm-hmm. for uh, a compilation album. If you've got like, I'm willing to grant a greatest hits a greatest hits album. I'm definitely all aboard a B sides compilation mm-hmm. or even an unreleased tracks compilation. But there comes a point when when you gotta knock it off. It seems like the first few are pretty worthwhile. There was the first one called Still. Yeah. And that was, uh, it was like, what, a collection of some of the, uh, like, some unreleased tracks. So, like, so a few B-sides, as well as a, there was a bit of a stuff from, like, uh, live shows and stuff like that. So it was sort of like, it was a nice little cap, I think. Uh, and then their Substance just was a good collection for all of the miscellaneous stuff mm-hmm. that you may have missed. So, sub, so, yeah, Still, you can go for that. I personally... Because I'm really just, I'm usually not interested in live albums at all. To be TBH, everybody. Still, I'd be on the fence for. Substance, I'd be all game for. Um, and it looks like it was a good seller, too. Peel Sessions, stuff like that, I, I, I we, skipped. We talked about John Peel before in the past. He was yeah. a big deal. If you got like in with John Peel and stuff, he could make your career. Who was it we were talking about? He, uh, oh, no, XTC. XTC, yeah, XTC. Yeah. He basically made their career, and they, will, they yeah, yeah. never had any problems saying that. Warsaw was some un, it was a, a debut it was an unreleased album that they decided to release mm-hmm. permanent what's the idea behind this one and this I think is where it starts to get a little unnecessary uh, contains tracks from the two studio albums as well as tracks previously released for substance and, and still yeah so this is this is where yeah a permanent it's just it's just the stuff from before <laughs> it's you know with two albums if you like joy division just get unknown pleasures and closer. And then a substance and still, and then you don't need permanent. And and okay, and after yeah, after that it's just like BBC recordings, best of singles, total, for, which oh yeah, which is Joy Division new, to New Order. Like it's just like just too many. It's just too many for 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 a band with two albums. You don't need one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, <laughs> twelve compilations. You don't need that. And I think there's some live albums. Yeah, yeah. There's a few live albums. Four live albums. Yeah, you know, one or two live albums is good. I think. You they know? Did, the thing is, I mean, like, I think, I think there should be a, a like, at most, a live album per album. Hmm. <laughs> you know, like for sure. Yeah, you know, because at most, yeah, kind of like what you know, what U two does is they have a tour and then they release like a DVD box set of it. And they're like, "Hey, go! Here's here's what that tour was like. If you want it, there yeah, it is. There it is. Uh, and I'm like, okay, you know what? For those for hardcore YouTube fans, that totally makes sense. They just want to see whatever because every live show had does have a bit of a personality, right? Sure. Uh, every or rather every tour, I should say, at least for them, for that band. Yeah, I would. Uh, I mean, certainly uh, Radiohead. I I wouldn't mind some more live albums from them. I wouldn't mind it simply because I mean I know they can they can do some pretty. Interesting stuff with their life. Yeah, like true, 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 true. I, I can't. I, you know, they don't release live albums too really. often. Really. There's, there's been a few, but I might, I might be wrong. It's yeah, the uh, only one that really. I mean, there's been some live tracks on singles, but as for live albums, I can yeah, only think of really. One. Yeah, I guess, I guess they want you to be there, which is fair. You know, I get it. That's that's fine. But when's somebody like, gonna get like spinning plates live? You know. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Yeah, just, just, just the one that they have. Yeah, you know, Joy Division for, um, you know, for people who are interested, uh, like it is, it's almost it's interesting as a piece of musical history. But yeah, I, I think if you like know a lot of New Order and New Wave and, and you know, like Level Tears Apart, just kind of go in prepared for something that's a lot more stripped down. Let's do some uh, track recommendations. Yeah, you got yeah. Them. oh yeah. You want to go first? Yeah, you know, I was a little on the fence with a few of them, but uh, but I let's start. I'm not, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna pull any punches here. I gonna I gonna recommend Level Terrace Park. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Because because this ranked, I think yes, it was number two when I made a list of my 100 favorite songs. This was number two. Oh, this was number two. You should songs. have it then. I should. I uh, uh, because yeah, it was right between uh, Enjoy the Silence by Depeche Mode and. In your eyes by Peter Gabriel. Just yeah, Level Terrace Part is, is a great. It's a great track. Like it, I could, I've, I've listened to it a lot, and it just stirs me every single time. It just it just feels mm, so good. And like yeah, l- listening to the uh, 
the lyrics are just they're very meaningful and sad and it's quotable you know it's like a love 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 will tear us apart again it's, it's kind of I don't know, it's, it's kind of like a, it's a beautiful sadness I think in that song yeah I yeah it's you know why do I gotta sell you one it's perfect just go listen, just go listen to it I'm gonna go with disorder off of unknown pleasures um, because you know, it, it's it's just a it's one of the standout tracks. It's really solid. Um, it's a really solid intro to the album. Uh, almost kind of like misleadingly solid at times, but yeah, it, it just it's got a good good energy. Um, something about the way that the the bass is very like th -th 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 -th, and then and then the guitar just has a, a cool like it's just really cool dynamics like. Bah, 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 bah. Yeah, I don't know, just, just some really interesting stuff going on, especially ryth rhythmically in that song, and I just feel like it's, uh, it is definitely worth your time. I might go as well with The Isolation, uh, which I know you also quite liked. <laughs> um, again, just, like, really cool synth work. It feels, it feels, I mean, I was a little hesitant because it feels kind of, like, in the same vein as Disorder, but you know what? I don't care. I'm still recommending it. <laughs> Yeah, uh, only this one definitely has more more synthesizer, and it is cool to hear them play around with it, and I think play around with it really is, like successfully. Um, and uh, and of course, you know that uh, the tempo, man, it's a good tempo. Mm -hmm. They, I, I, I do feel, I think, well, I think you mentioned it when they're not doing it, when not when they're not being so dreary, when they're when they're like willing to like get uh, get the pace up and, and get you like kind of dancing. It's actually, it works really well. It works in your favor, so. Mm -hmm. Those tracks will have you moving, have you thinking, have you loving, have you listening to Joy Division. <laughs> uh, <no>. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. Off of Unknown Pleasures, Shadow Play. Yeah, I think if you're going to take one song away from Unknown Pleasures, um, with today's music aesthetic in, in mind as well um shadow play might be the one again this is the one where i feel like the band was working the most harmoniously where i get i could actually sit back and, and listen and hear what every member of the band was putting in again uh morris was, was totally on point here and sumner i mean he never fails to impress but i mean like i think this is the one where he he really managed to bring it together so def definitely go with shadow play uh transmission one of those singles Transmission again. It has it has a build up where it's, it just starts off kind of kind of okay, but but when the band comes in and fills out the sound, then the song becomes really really amazing. And then Ian Curtis, he starts off kind of just you know just going through the motions and singing the song, but then all of a sudden he picks up that energy and the way the energy is picked up against his 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 vibrato of a voice really kind of lends to like a really interesting interesting sound. It's, it's almost kind of too bad it wasn't on any of the uh, on either of the albums. I think it certainly could have improved on pleasures, but uh, I think there's a couple tracks on closer I would have swapped it out and put transmission in instead. My humble opinion. And then finally, off of closer means to an end. It might be one of the well, it is one of the best songs of the album. It might be my favorite song on the album. It's not as experimental as uh, and synth driven as isolation, which is stuff I love. But uh, instead, it's um, it's it's that crazy guitar work, and the rest the rest of the band, as opposed to being overshadowed by the guitar, are actually accentuating the guitar in this. Like like they are they are still working together, and uh, and I think it, it comes at a break point in the album. It's about halfway through, so if you feel like you're starting to kind of like eh, I'm not sure if I like it or not, hopefully this will keep you keep you hooked on to the very end. Yeah, that's what I got. Well, next week, folks, we are going to stay in the UK. For a band that I think, you know, I, th I think you might be able... Like, they've got they've got a lot of influences, and we can definitely talk about that. A lot of the influences they were on their sleeve. I don't think it's a stretch to say they were probably influenced by Joy Division. No, no I can yeah. see that, you yeah. know. But I guess we'll find out once we dive a little more deeply into Kasabian. And we've got a great story about Kasabian, <laughs> which oh. we'll get into. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Uh, and they oh, also... A throwback right there. Yeah, right. But what do you... Dear listener, think of Joy Division. What do you think of New Order? If you tell us now what you think about New Order, we can read it out for our upcoming New Order episode. What do you think about Kasabian? What do you think about Incubus? What do you think about any of the bands or artists we've covered on the show so far? Let us know. 
there's a few ways you can get in touch with us. The first is our website, musicatezpodcast.com. You can also browse the show notes. Go down to the comment section. Leave your thoughts. How about our Twitter account, at musicazpodcast? And then our Facebook group is Music A to Z Podcast. Uh, there's a little art of a baby on the front with a purple and green and headphones, and it's all good fun. And you can go and see what sort of fun things we're posting. You posted something about uh, Michael Jackson songs, did you not, just the other day? Yeah, it was. Uh, did you watch it? I will. <laughs> okay, it it, uh, it kind of breaks down... Um, oh, shoot, what's the first track off, off the wall? What's that... Uh... Uh, don't stop till you get enough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It kind of breaks that down. Talks about uh, the the little bit of the history and legacy of that song, as well as like what's going on instrumentally. Uh, I love that stuff. I, I love it. I, it's it's so cool. Yeah, be sure to watch that. Yeah, I'm actually I've been meaning to post this for a little bit, and I keep forgetting. There was a great video I watched by I think his his name is the the holistic musician or something like that. Okay. Something like that. I'll, I'll look back up. And he talked about how Radiohead does chord progressions. And a lot of it's very technical, and I didn't understand a good portion of it, but mm. there are parts in it that are, are super, super amazing. I think I'm going to post that in the next couple minutes before I forget again. Uh, so, yeah, check out our Facebook page, folks. You can look us up, Music AZ Podcast. And, but I do always say, if you want our feedback to really have a lot of punch, go to iTunes and go into the iTunes store in the podcast section under Ratings and Reviews. Find Music AZ Podcast and review us leave a rating, we'll read it out on the show, and we'll be super happy. Yeah, we'll give you a digital high five yeah. or uh, nux. Every rating counts. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, and hey, if you like me, and you don't have to, but if you do like me, feel free to check out uh, all my work on uh, YouTube, uh, moving underscore pictures, as pictures with a K. You can also look up uh, Beast Wars Wednesday. Um, the, yeah, you know, I, I review video games, movies, TV shows, and... It's uh, it's good fun. It's good fun. We're doing a series on uh, on Rocky. Uh, it's not up yet, because my uh, my YouTube partner is uh, very slow at editing. <laughs> <laughs> but um, uh, in theory, in theory, it's almost done. This upcoming Monday, I think we're watching Rocky too. So please check me out there. Uh, every subscription is a big win for me right now. So thanks. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Anything else, Captain? Nope. All right, well, I'm going to close this out by saying Music A to Z podcast is hosted by Stephen and Doug Ferguson and is produced by me, Stephen Ferguson. You should check out our other works at DougJCFerguson.com and StephenGCFerguson.ca. 